Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another edition of the Bandwagon Podcast. And as you probably uh, realised, I have a theme um, that I go through. Um, one of the areas that uh, where my heart lies is around sort of uh, the whole the whole field of substance misuse or substance use or whatever you want, whatever definition, identity that you want to give it. Um, and it's important in terms of like um, to highlight those people, those individuals who've made a real impact on my career, who helped me out when, uh, you know, when I first started in there, because ultimately those people who I've come in contact with and helped, um, you know, their knowledge and their teachings have kind of passed on through them. Um, and one of those guys that um, who really helped me out a lot and I learned a lot um, is, jo- is kindly joining me today. And uh, without further ado, um, I'd like to introduce to you, Luke Trainer. Luke, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Good to see you, Ricky. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long while. You're you're too famous now for you know to kind of remember and hit, uh, you know quite, mate. Get, get get in contact with me. How, how's things anyway? How how is life treating you at the moment? Uh, it's good, Ricky, man. It's um it, it's good. So uh, you know, professional life is good. Family life is good. Um, a lot of, you know big change from from perhaps when I saw you last. You know, um, <laughs> that's for sure. So. So yeah, man. There's a lot going on. Getting involved in in research, um, stuff at the university. So so that's a kind of that's um, exciting stuff, mate. Yeah. So I I want to kind of work backwards in in some ways. Yeah. So, so I just want to kind of uh, just to kind of show the the journey in terms of doing this, and and I wanted to share this experience with a lot of people out there because you know you're so uni- unique in your way you're unique in your own story in that, but however, the story is so common and, mm. and the way it's articulated is very important because to have that, um, how do I say, not, having the right kind of pitch and tone is important from this. So mm. can you just tell us a little bit uh, of the program that you're in, you're in now? So it's better than well. And it's yeah. based out, uh, uh, it's the recovery program at university of Birmingham. That's right. Um, yeah. So can you just tell everybody what, what that, what that's about, please? Sure. So um, it's called, I mean, the Americans would call it a collegiate recovery program, which is not, you know, the kind of vernacular we have in in the UK. That's not really a thing. Collegiate is not really used very often. So, I mean, I call it a kind of campus recovery program. Now, in America, these have been actually kind of really prominent since the 1970s, uh, going all the way back. I think the first one was in New Jersey. There's been a lot of prominent ones. They have ones now in America. There's Texas Tech one has a whole separate campus and and housing uh, and and you know amenities for for um, for recovery community. So they're kind of way ahead of the curve as they often are with recovery. 
Um, I think in the UK, recovery as a concept, as you know, is, was kind of from 2008 onwards kind of mired in uh, the problems of definition and, and, and all sorts of stuff. So there was a whole different experience of addictions recovery in, in the UK, I think. Um, but we are, um, we're not the first, we are the first that are integrated fully into uh, the uni university structure in Europe, let alone um, in the UK. And that was basically started because um, I arrived at university myself very much after I'd just kind of come out of a treatment stint. I'd been homeless before that, uh, and I landed at a Russell Group University, incredibly proud of my achievements and really excited about my future. But um, I, I didn't really want to disclose anything about my own um, addiction. Uh, that I was in recovery or very much of my past, really. So I'll come up with kind of novel excuses every time someone asked me, why are you studying at, you know, what was 37, 38 years old? I'd, I'd, I'd say anything but addiction, really. Um, interestingly, I was more comfortable to say that I'd, I'd suffered complex mental health needs than addiction, which tells you something, really, doesn't it, that how, how comfortable are we as a society to discuss addiction? Um, anyway, Would they be linked anyway? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're very much linked anyway. But I think that um, I've reflected on it, obviously. And I think that what it is, is um, there's the obvious connection with uh, criminality based on the war on drugs, obviously. You know, that, that stigmatises users... Uh, from day one, really. Um, and then there's something about the um, admitting that you can't control something and the fact that it's not really seen in terms of um, an illness so much as it's seen as a moral failing and that you're very impulsive, you're, you know, you can't control yourself and you, know, you could go off at any minute. I think there's some you know something in that as well but I um I bumped into um Dr Ed Day who you know well um yeah. on on campus obviously he, he's got his kind of research work here and um he hadn't seen me in a long time he was very surprised to see me I think the last he'd heard I'd gone completely off the radar <laughs> as I tended to do you know yeah. Um, yeah. with uh, <laughs> kind of class A IV use and all that comes with that um and, and he introduced me to the idea of collegiate recovery. He said, well, actually, you know, there's, there's uh, campuses all over America where recovering people come together. They all look a bit different in each city, um, but there is the kind of blueprint there to create something. And, uh, and that's what we set about doing. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of time in development. And then getting buy-in from the university was obviously going to be the major hurdle which Ed did the majority of, you know, he, he could he could speak in those kind of boardrooms in a way perhaps that I wasn't quite ready to. Um, and he got that buy-in almost at top level, at vice-chancellor type level. And, um, and yeah, the rest is kind of history. We're now being operational for, you know, the best part of a kind of 
you know, almost a full academic year. We've got 30 students that have engaged with us, which is far transcends what we thought we would get in our first year. Of those 30, 15 are like fully engaged core members, turn up to groups all the time. We have smart recovery on campus. We have a kind of 12-step meeting on campus where various members of 12-step fellowships come and share their experience, strength, strength and hope. We have um, Buddhist monks teaching us meditation and Dharma studies. So there's a Buddhist chaplain here, a lovely guy uh, called Lau, and he comes once a month to, uh, to teach um, mindfulness of breathing, walking meditation and some Dharma studies. We have, um, you know, your you kind of recovery celebration group at the end of the week. It's growing all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of collegiate recovery, mate. No, no, I mean, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic, you know, just to see. I, I, before we kind of carry on your little, I just want to give a bit of a head nod to uh, Ed, Dr. Ed Day. Like, yeah, that guy is, especially in the kind of the addiction field in the UK, he's he is a a real fundamental pillar in instigating change and in education and getting it on academic level yeah. um uh, you know really important so d- having a person like that to kind of push this this agenda forward was massive huge yeah agreed man yeah good guy good guy so yeah and i'll i'll I'm somehow i tried to get him on a drugs conferences a couple of times but i definitely uh Pin him down now. <laughs> After getting he's, he's about two two offices down from me, so I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to get him. Yeah. So, so Luke, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. You can obviously see where this is going. It's gonna go back from and then yeah, where, where where how we meet and stuff like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come from a very successful family, yeah. um, and you know who've done who have achieved massive and great things, especially for the city and 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 the area. How, how did you find yourself in a position of where ad- the addictions actually came on the footsteps? Because I always remember something that you, you said to me first is like, nobody chooses to be, to go down the field as, you know, nobody chooses to be a drug addict when they're, mm. they're younger. It's just the circumstances of life and choice that navigate you into that, into that, into that scenario. What was those scenarios that navigated you down that life? Because you've had, you've got everything, you know, mm. you had a secure family, you got, success there and yeah uh but you you just you went down on a slightly different pathway yeah yeah um you know i reflect on this a lot ricky um yeah i came from a very well respected family obviously kind of political ties and stuff um going back quite a long way always involved you know our 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 house was like a kind of labor party hub when i was uh, growing up and every other kind of, you know, women's liberation movement, various different, you know, um, political movements being run from out of the house, really. Um, So always good people around me, good, strong ethics, moral values, not really religious, but that was kind of replaced by um, very strong social justice beliefs. So it's almost the same thing, you know, Mm. you have something that that grounds you in... um, in in you know belief for justice and things like that um it was a big family and it was a busy household and 
<clears throat> I honestly think that for, for, for most of the people in that family, it suited their personalities. They liked that about it. They liked that it was dynamic, that when you went downstairs, you weren't sure. There was always some interesting characters talking <laughs> about political things or whatever. For me, personality-wise, I was a sensitive kid, Ricky. You know, I was I was shy. Um, I was a little bit introverted, or quite a lot introverted. And um, it didn't suit me all that well. Um, and I would disappear into imagination and escapism long before I ever picked up a drug. Not in a necessarily... Um, pathological way I don't think I was just I like books and I like to kind of imagine things fantasy all of those kind of things you know there's a lot of people like that it doesn't mean that they end up um, like I did really but I think that I had two older brothers and they were quite a lot older and so they were teenagers when I was about um, 10 11 and I was a very curious kid that could, you know, make up scenarios in his head. And that was at the time that they were at secondary schools in, in Birmingham in the early 90s. Um, you know, they were, they were in bands. There was a lot of, they were, had an exciting lifestyle. Me, the fantasist, <clears throat> had already kind of painted the picture of what, their lifestyle was before I'd even got involved in it. And I imagined, you know, oh, how, how rebellious it was and, and how amazing and all the, these new experiences. So before I ever kind of got involved in that, I, um, I was fascinated by the alternative lifestyle <clears throat> that it offered. Um, there was some trauma um, that... Um, that happened you know I think that, that 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 kind of probably had something to do with <clears throat> that jump from um it just being a kind of healthy fascination into um I think the, later on it it was a bit of a kind of schema that that grew into wanting to change my experience I um I started young, that's the truth. And, and I think if you look at a lot of the research into this, if you got started um, young and you go on to have problems with addiction, then you will kind of, you've got far more likelihood of being a kind of the deeply ingrained type of, um, of addict that, that, that we maybe see. Um, in, uh, in those kind of harm reduction services and stuff, you know, that, that if you got, got going early, that's a pretty good indicator. And I did, you know, I was um, by the age of um, 14, I'd been kicked out of three schools already. Uh, I wasn't a violent uh, young man. I wasn't a um, particularly, you know, dangerous in any way. I was just non-compliant. And um, and I was using drugs on a daily basis at that time. I was drinking, I was smoking hash, and I was taking amphetamines almost daily. Uh, they were available. You had, you had a good go then, didn't it? <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> so, going. Yeah. So you got you got three schools. You're bouncing off the walls, let alone. Uh, yeah, just you know, just just on the amphetamines alone. 
yeah yeah and I was you know um it, I, I was kind of I think I used to there was something about I mean it's funny that they give um they give people with ADHD Ritalin um, Ritalin yeah and, and I do <laughs> think that I was able to concentrate better when I when I was on speed but just not on the right things <laughs> I just wouldn't concentrate <laughs> on because I, I, I remember when we uh, delivering the drug well you know when we used to do yeah, deliver yeah, the, yeah. the drug and alcohol, drug and alcohol training which was like not yeah. i gotta be i gotta give a kind of a disclaimer where like, we, we weren't we weren't doing the drugs and alcohol ourselves we were like no giving edu- <laughs> it was awareness training it was education harm reduction and things i just want to go through you said um a couple of a, a couple of interesting things there um, one of the things that was around trauma and we, there's extremely high statistics in terms of saying that the majority of kind of addictions that people fall into is for some kind of trauma. Mm. In your experience, would you back that? Or would you say that's true? I, you know, yeah, I think you can't you can't escape it. And when you do kind of talk qualitatively or, or get experience from people that have run into real problems with addiction, you know, it it comes up a lot. Um, I do tend to think of addiction as, um, you know, it's very multifaceted and that's putting it lightly, really, you know, it it transcends a lot of boundaries between the psychological, the biological, the social and the spiritual, uh, however you want to see that. And it's, it doesn't sit neatly anywhere in particular um, in across those, those um, things really, but trauma does seem to be something which can kind of trigger a response that comes up time and time again in life. Um, where you're pushing away bad experiences and and if you talk to someone who gets into real uh, problems with uh, addiction what kind of quite often marks them out from someone who just takes too many drugs is this unique thing that they they're pushing away experience and they've learned to do that with <clears throat> substances usually a progression <clears throat> of substances or poly uh, drug use always trying to find that goldilocks just right combination of substances that will alleviate their um <clears throat> their feelings of discomfort um and, and do you think <clears throat> that do you think that uh, the 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 drug of choice almost kind of personifies what they're what they're feeling at that time because it's like you you've just gone through a concoction you've gone through like mm you've gone through bruise amphetamines you, you you'll get quite a lot of uh, people just kind of specializing in one <laughs> what kind of oh yeah, one yeah. Drug. but i always used to find that poly drug use was standard anyway i, I used to yeah. find that but yeah. to go you, you used to know the difference between somebody who's kind of a just a standard kind of user and i'm using these labels as uh going against what I actually believe about labels, but then you used to get some people who are real connoisseurs of drugs who'd be yeah. able to kind of pick you and be able to kind of say, yeah, this is what, and I always found those guys, some of the most enlightened, the most educated, but some of the hardest client groups to yeah. work with. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and you, you, you get, there's, there's, um, there's an interesting kind of increase in that these days. I mean, some of the students on campus that we see, that are buying their drugs off the dark web that haven't gone down the kind of usual 
you know, going down to uh, to Ladywood or or, or Els to score, you know, these are a very different um, group of kind of the e-drug user. Yeah, yeah, the psychonauts, <laughs> you know, and and they often end up in in a fair bit of trouble mm-hmm. um, because imagine that kind of accessibility where you're just there with an Amazon menu of uh, of um, of a pharmacopoeia of drugs and 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 yeah it's it's it is interesting yeah they can they can land themselves in in a fair bit of trouble i think you know just trying to find that sweet spot of combinations of drugs or find these new novel um drugs out there i think i was one of those perhaps before before there was such a thing as the dark web but i did my my network of um of drug supplies was very diverse. Um, it wasn't just one, you know, getting, I, I was getting kind of acid from old hippies in Mosley and, and able to get, you know, cocaine from, from lads, um, usually kind of more towards Sully Allway. Um, <laughs> you know, there was, there was a, a wide variety of substances on offer, but you had to kind of travel around for them then. And, and yeah, I did always, it was always combinations of drugs for me. Um, just opiates on their own wasn't really sufficient. I'd need some stimulant with that. Again, I was always trying to find some, some kind of sweet spot of no self, actually, and, and just not feeling self. Self was uncomfortable for me the feeling of, of this construct of kind of self was, um, I was, was at odds with it in many ways. And actually the solution to my addiction has been to search for other methods of no self through meditation and things like that. You, um, so you, you, you talked about when you were about at school, and yeah. the, the, you know the common kind of first drugs that people use at school is normally alcohol and cigarettes. And then we come onto the subject around the gateway theory and all this. Thing. Yeah, I'm not going to presume your feelings and stuff like that, but I want you in your kind of in your kind of experience and your your life journey and your and, and working with people, your views on that. On, on the get on, on having the gateway theory of people will go to if you if you do this it will, it will almost automatically escalate you up to using harder drugs yeah i'm not sure about that i think if there's any drug that teaches us how to be an addict from a young age it's nicotine um it, it, that's the first drug that a person will usually be able to say i need it on a daily basis I feel bad without it. I need to get a packet of cigarettes or I need to bomb a fag off someone on the way to school or whatever. So our experiences of addiction um, probably start more with something like nicotine. I've got um, one better for you, you know. What, yeah, about, yeah. what about sugar? Sugar? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, a stage before that, um, I used to pinch money for uh, sweets. You know, um, I did, you know, and that and that went on to be uh, a definite but don't you don't you feel like i used to go i used to sit back and i i, I got it from my mate basically when i used to what he used to do mm. and the way the same way he used to fiend over getting like his fags on the way to school yeah it's the same way as when he used to get his his sweet his sweets exactly yeah. what he said but then when i'm looking at it i'm looking at kids now when i went to school when i used to go into schools and train i used to say the same see the same thing over energy drinks yeah, yeah and i think i think that 
you know, just I'm speaking like a parent or anything. I think there is a whole different kind of market around addiction now in terms yeah, of yeah. energy drinks, gaming, in app yeah. purchases of gaming, gaming. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you're seeing that addictive, that consumerism. Yeah. It's got, you know, we just talked about the dark web, dark web and how people are mm. buying their drugs at the same time. Mm. It for, for me, it's like access is a thing. It's like you can't stop access. Well, you can educate people to make the right informed choices. Mm. But then you've got gambling. You've got all these other things coming yeah. up on the increase. And that social kind of education is just is not necessarily there. But then you've got this biological need that mm. you're pumping kids from a young age full of sugar, full of sugar. Haribo's, um, Red Bull, Monster, and all this stuff. It's just like, yeah. And then you, and then you see, like, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, he ain't gonna, not everyone's gonna bloody end up from having a Red Bull to heroin. Um, mm. But I think what there is is just there needs to be a healthy discussion about something at least. Yeah, I, I think you know we 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 live under a economic and political system. Um, roughly kind of called neoliberalism really which is you know capitalism essentially and that relies upon um a certain kind of mentality in the consumer in order to keep the whole system aloft and the market has remarkable about amount of power i mean we grew up um when there was like social democracy and there was actually you know that the, the, the state were involved in decisions you know whether or not you agreed with them always you know there was strong state structures now the marketplace is such a dominant powerful thing that um it pushes aside most concerns that that citizens might have about the way things are going and it just absolutely floods it yeah if the, well, go the, gov the government's buying the stock yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is a weird one. I mean, like, you know, like your drug choice, your amphetamines. I'm guessing at your school you would have been an outliner there. There wouldn't be that many people on that. No, there wasn't. Um, there wasn't really anyone. I think there were it was at a time where you know the the kind of the ecstasy boom was was starting to happen. I wasn't old enough at that point really to be part of that first kind of summer of love and all of that uh, that was going on so there were kids that used to talk about their brothers taking ecstasy and stuff like that and some of them some of them perhaps might have even been able to get bits of speed but they, this and this is the thing you see I took it on an almost daily basis and it wasn't even really recreational. A lot of the recreational stuff was going on as well but I didn't tell the friends that I used recreationally with at the clubs at the raves um and uh you know taking kind of acid with uh, i i didn't tell them about my life as as the person that during the week couldn't really cope with his feelings couldn't cope with himself very well they didn't know about that they didn't really know about it until i properly hit the deck on heroin and crack and then they were like Wow, that seemed to happen really quickly. And of course, I was the only person that knew, nah, this was this has been building up. You know, I was stealing benzos off um my granddad from the age of about 14 as well. Um, you know, he he was an alcoholic who who just stopped. He lived in our house with us. Um, and he just stopped the medical route. He just went to the doctor quite late in his life, and the doctor said, Okay, here's a load of 
Valium, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I used to pinch those. Um, so there was a real addictive kind of scheme like building in me from a from a young age. Um, I, you know, why is that? Is it is it in some way genetic? My granddad was an alcoholic. There's a fair bit of alcoholism in 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 the family uh, going back. Um, could it be that? Probably a little bit of that. Could it be some of the social stuff? Yeah, no doubt. The psychological stuff and the trauma. Yeah, probably had something to do with it. All kind of comes together, doesn't it? And it comes together in different people in different ways. Mm. Uh, I think, but yeah. yeah. And then, um, at the time, as you as you as you're growing up, when did you realise yourself that? Hang on a second, this is get. I'm in a bit of trouble here. Yeah, yeah. Early on, Ricky. Early, I went to. Um, you might even remember this. Not a lot of people do. Probably one of the first drug services in Birmingham behind Cars Lane Church drug line. Was yeah, 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 yeah. This little door, yeah. you knocked. It was a. It was a red door, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was the, it was the red door. So they used to open. Uh, they used. To, they used to. Is that where Turning Point? I don't know whether they they changed. I don't know it if there's anything there anymore. But it was. It was called. I'm just thinking it was called Drugs Line or something then. Um, and it was just the red door opened, and then you just they used to open the door, and they just just to see what what was in front of them at that time. Yeah, yeah. That that was pretty much it, man. And that that was what kind of uh, front line. Uh, services were i think they had the uh, the abc the addictive behavior center uh, in town as well but that tended to be for people who were quite entrenched in in uh, heroin addiction or whatever so i turned up there as a 15 year old lad um i did realize that i used drugs and alcohol differently from the people around me and i had a girlfriend at the time who told me as much she was like it's not normal I let her into my life enough for her to be able to see um how I was using and um I wasn't going to school at this point I, I wasn't even going to the kind of um reform type school that they put me in and I was just drinking and taking uh drugs day in day out at this point at the age of 15 bless them down at that that drug service they you know they gave me a cup of tea they listened to me they gave me some leaflets and stuff but there wasn't a lot they could do for me. There wasn't really such a thing as youth addiction services. I don't even really think there is today, mate. You know, it's not. It's it's not. A, it's not a massively well. But your fa your family, like or your family, you yeah. just said were activists, and they kind of foresee yeah. new social movements and stuff. Were they seeing this in the house as well? Were they trying to accommodate, or were you just keeping it so secretive that displaying yeah. it outside of it? Again, my sister. You know, she she knew. Uh, she was, you know, she's a very smart one and she was kind of around. She ain't, she ain't done too bad right now. Is she? No, she's done all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she she was kind of. Uh, can um, I just, I'll just tell everyone at this bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's Jess Phillips. Jess Phillips. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so she was in, you know, similar social groups, but not, you know, the same. So she kind of knew how, I think she knew how my friends and I outwardly used, but again, she didn't so much know that secret bit that, that I kind of kept ticking along. I don't think I really revealed that to anyone apart from that girlfriend at the time. My parents were, were um, I definitely don't want to give the, um, to make it look like 
they didn't care or that, that they didn't try and do anything. They did, you know, they were very open-minded about that. They couldn't really understand, you know, why it was so different from my brother's experiences because they didn't smoke. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A bit of weed and going out, and, and, and that was all sweet. You know, there was no problems with that. They were getting on with what they needed to do. And but I yeah, I don't I don't think they probably just thought that there was other stuff going on for me, behavioral stuff and uh, and other stuff, as is often the case, because it you didn't really talk about those things in the way that we do today i think you know but well it, i mean i do you think that that parents actually speak to people about those conversations because those conversations will should be happening from the birth of time and it, people be the human race has been trying to get off his face for fucking years you know what i mean yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing new but those ingredients to speak at a um at a table where mm. you've got you know when you talk about trust love all these kind of things it, regardless of what the subject matter is that you need that core ingredients there and for some people those key ingredients are there but they just don't know how to raise the subject mm. they just don't know how to talk about it it could talk about everything else but yeah. when it comes down to that you know on certain subjects you know mm. they, they, they freeze up that you no, there's no instruction guide of how to be a parent mm. there's no instruction guide of how to raise a conversation to a point and yeah. it's, if it's if it's a completely alien different well there'll be people listening to this or watching this going you know I've, i'm a parent mm. i've got a young kid i'm gonna have to have that conversation at somewhere mm. where do i get that information from yeah and there wasn't a youtube there where you can you, you can find out how to do it no no um no i think it's um you know for i think from a dad especially um it was it was difficult for him to kind of measure that you know being a protective authoritative figure against like allowing me to speak and say what I needed to say you know these are I've got two boys now myself so I'm kind of um I'm starting to uh realize some of these things about parenthood for sure yeah and then um as you're growing up as you're getting older and older going into kind of thinking about employment and stuff, you know, how, how difficult was it to deal with the kind of stigma that was, that was around at that time, especially? Um, so I guess when I, um, when I, I mean, I didn't, did I ever really think about employment? There were, you know, there was bits of employment along the way. Um, I suppose when, at the time in my life, when I met you, um, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd moved on to uh, heroin and crack, you know, um, before that. And I had um, I'd kind of realised that that's not what I wanted to be in my life. And there was a kind of burgeoning movement at that time. Uh, in fact, I've got, funnily enough, I've got the mug, the mug that I have is from... Uh, from points, <laughs> yeah. you know the uh, yeah. 
I remember sitting next to you one day when you're coming in and I was writing up this course and you, you were asking, you're like, oh, Rick, what's that about? And you know, the way that you, that you, the style that you used to be is like it very, you know, when you talk about introvert, like this is amazing to see you like this. When you, mm. when it was back in there, like it was, it was hard to get a sentence out. Painful, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we used to sit next to each other every day. And, yeah. um, I remember when I was writing this course about, I think it was, we were just doing something about heroin withdrawal and all this. And I was like, yeah. you have that imposter syndrome. And I was constantly saying, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm here. I'm not about a user experience. I'm here trying to educate, you know, because you do yeah. get that, you know. And then I used to have that validation of like, well, you know, if you're in the NHS, a doctor doesn't necessarily have cancer to treat cancer patients. And, all. Yeah. and then you started this story and said, oh, Rick, I just come back from Thailand. And, uh, and, I, and I just thought, and that's what I realised, I like, there is another level to this shit. If you can, can you just tell me about your experience of when you went to Thailand to try and your, yeah, your, your rehab bit? Yeah, so I, I went to um, a place called Wat Tam Krabak, which is in um, the uh, Lokbori area of Thailand. It's quite a, it's become quite famous, but at the time it was massively, massively obscure. And uh, I got the same reaction from quite a lot of other people before I went, you know, I'm going to go and try and kick heroin in a Buddhist monastery in the jungle. And they were like, you what? You're going to do what? And um, I went there and I literally just kind of, I landed in Bangkok. I had, um, I had a friend in Bangkok who I kind of, I couldn't make it to the monastery because I was, I'd, I'd been withdrawing from heroin all the way uh, on a flight, including stopping at Abu Dhabi on the way to, to change. And, and that was traumatic. So when I got to Bangkok, I kind of, um, I just sunk a load of, sang some rum and, and sent my friend off to go and get whatever pharmaceutical she could from the local um, pharmacies. And then just, I think, slept for three days. And then she put me in a taxi, fed up with me, and just sent me off to this monastery. A monastery is not like a building. It's like a village, almost like a town, to be honest with you. It's a whole community. Um, the monks there <clears throat> have historically been taking people in because it's it's not far from the Golden Triangle. So they've always had waifs and strays, uh, smugglers and, and, and people who have ended up in trouble and, and had to go into the monastery to, to kick heroin. You know, there's a lot of heroin around there. And um, I got there and they, they have this, this um, very kind of bizarre ritual and this belief that if they purge you massively um, fast uh, with this foul concoction of jungle potion, that it will get rid of your heroin, it'll make your heroin withdrawal really quick, which it does, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's like two days of the most traumatic intense hell that you can imagine so they give you this 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 monk comes around and he, he gives how you did you get into, like how did you get the admission bit so they found like you're walking at this so how you how you do it my name's luke or what yeah, well yeah pretty much man. there was a guy called prayat and um they're not like you know you, you think buddhist monk in your mind you think like gentle compassionate um loving and kind of uh, meditating all the time these guys were hard bastards man they were like they were more your kind of shaolin monk style dudes man and and he uh he um he gravity searched me 
uh, straight away because I just learned they had people who had uh, organizations in mainly kind of Germany and Switzerland and places like that that would link you up to this place. I didn't do any of that. I just landed there with like one bag. All right, how you doing? I've come from Birmingham. And they were like, we don't know who you are. So they cavity searched me and put me in this um, this kind of hall where there was just, you know, it must be about 50 rattling junkies in there. Uh, and you had to fight for a, a mattress <laughs> on the first night. It was like, it was like, <laughs> like a full on punch up. <laughs> There was punch-ups. I didn't get involved, but the ties were, were happy to to uh, to punch each other up. So I went through that that purge, and true to the word, you know, my rattle was done in three days, man. But it was I can't really even read. All I can remember is like they they kind of have drums beating in the background when you took the the horrible foul potion. Do you know what and, was in there? No, to this day, I don't. And I don't think that they reveal it. I think, you know, literally just like mad stuff crushed down from the jungle. Um, probably bits of Kratom, Kratom and stuff like that, I think. Um, but it, it just instantly, the minute it hit your mouth, really, your throat, you just, from both ends. So it does, it, it gets it out of your system oh, quickly. Like, like I, I need to know, like, for, for this bit, so apologies, like, what was the hygiene and the other levels around like just awful i got hepatitis a there um there was no hygiene whatsoever there were you know people um i mean so, if you look at it through a covid lens now it you just it was just completely there was puke and you know blood like the monks used to all use the same razor to to shave their bald heads on on a full moon night and bearing in mind that a lot of the monks were ex street heroin users it, it, it honestly mate it just sends uh, shivers up your spine thinking about the uh, hygiene in the place <laughs> yeah man and then um, that... yeah. oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you you a rattle in itself, like if you look and you read about it, is mm. you know it, they, it. It's been suggested that it's kind of like think of the worst flu that you've ever had yeah. and times it about five. Yeah, and, right. and, and 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 yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, and so you're in that condition. You're puking and shitting like constantly, yeah. and then when do you? And I'm guessing at this point you've you're completely out of it or do you still have a recollection of what, how you were during that period? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely out of it. Uh, I've got hazy recollections, but no, I couldn't really tell you um, what occurred in those three days. No. Um, I can remember a kind of a pain and a discomfort, but I can't remember specifics at all. Um, I, I'm getting these memories back from when you, when you told me the story <laughs> the first time. And I think, I honestly, I could see, I, I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember you just sitting there, you, you know, your, your head to the ground and, and laughing and telling me, and I was like, I just, you know, you, you had that, that imposter syndrome, I, I, it kicked in big time, because then you, yeah. and then then you, you said like what your day one, how long did you stay there in total? I was there for more than a year. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, the, um, 
after I'd come through the purging part of it, I kind of came round on a beautiful monastery in the jungle, um, you know, fresh and full of daisies. And it was a bit of a mad program they had there. So you had to be up at um, 4.30 in the morning and then you had to sweep the monastery in silence for two hours, bearing in mind that a monastery in a jungle, sweeping leaves is completely pointless. They will, just, it will just fall back down as you're doing it, but that was part of the the, the like to teach you that you, you you can't control everything and that you you will never be able to completely sweep away everything in your life. You've got to put up with certain. So there was there was you know there was some intelligence behind their program and some some um, wisdom. Um, you could only eat once a day, and you ate at seven thirty after sweeping and meditation. And um, the food was fucking amazing, as you can imagine, like properly nice Thai food. Um, but then you had to wait for 7.30 for your next food. You could drink water throughout the day. But I, lo- I there was so much of it I loved. There was a lot of wildlife. There was like flying squirrels and... Any snakes? Um, so, yeah, big snakes, man. Whoa, there was my- big old python. That I didn't realise this about pythons, but the monks were like, that's where the python lives like as if the python's got like a whole kind of territory and, and 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 sure enough man if you went into this particular little bit this enclave you're going to see you're going to see this big python it's like that's his his neck of the woods man it was uh, what do you mean like what do you mean like i thought if right if you're going to see a snake you might you happen to see a snake in the jungle but it was like his territory. That was like he had a little part where he lived. This python. I like. Co- like I'm not saying it's like a dog. It used to come up. Like, does it? Would it travel towards you and shit? No, 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 no. I'm saying, but if you went into, it was like a little enclave. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. I got yeah. Um, if you went in there, you'd be sure to see it. It wasn't like you a chance encounter. It's like it lived in that part of the monastery. And what about like the like I've been to Thailand? What about the King Cobra? You didn't have anything like that coming into your no, rooms or nothing. Oof. Yeah, King Cobra tends oh, to be more in oh, the paddy fields, uh, in the in 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 the rice fields. Um, it's more of an agricultural creature, whereas in in this was thick jungle, man. Um, the cobra's more on the flats and the any 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 da- like dangerous animals around you. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, there was there was. Um, there was these, um, I used to see the toys when we were, because I moved from that, you know, all living in the kind of bit where you do the rattle into a smaller place with just four of the guys. And there were toy guys and they were really lovely. But these green snakes used to come into our quarters sometimes and, and they'd just kick them out or get a brush and brush them out. And I just ended up doing the same thing because I thought... Venomous, we're the venomous. I, I got, when I got back to the UK and I looked on the internet, it was the sixth most venomous snake in the whole fucking world, and I'd just been kicking these things out of the uh, out of the room, like because I saw the toys do it. But yeah, it's called the green crate or something like that. Um, what the? Yeah, man, it was a mad experience, you know. Um, I think actually, when it taught me something about addiction, that I, you know, while I was there, I got really into Buddhism. Got my well-being was excellent. Meditating daily. But on the day that I left there, pretty much the day as, and, and I kind of convinced them to allow me to leave on 
false pretenses that said, you know, my girlfriend needs me or whatever. And they they, didn't, they didn't want to let you leave. They didn't. They didn't know out of compassionate reasons, I think, because they they, you know, they just didn't see that the work had been done because I was still trying to manipulate. I was still kind of trying to get out of there all the time, but doing it by lying and stuff. And, you know, they have this this notion of correct speech. It's very important in Buddhism. So they could see that I was full of shit, really. Um, and when I left, I got back into Bangkok and I'd relapsed within the space of a day, man, on booze. I hit the booze hard, man. But did, and what, 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 oh, I know this is a, a silly question, but yeah. why? That's, see, that's a, that, that's, this is what I mean. It taught me something about addiction. I think quite often, if you have too much of a trauma focus or too much of an anything focus, we miss a lot in addiction because my experience talking to addicts all the time um, or people with substance use disorders or alcoholism, I should say, um, that it isn't as simple as saying, you know, something bad happened to me or I was all in my stuff. I was depressed and I picked up to push away the experience because I've met people and I've been uh, a person who's just relapsed incomprehensibly for no particular reason with no identifiable trigger. I've heard people who have been three, four years in recovery that have got the job that they always wanted, had a glass of champagne to celebrate two days later in a crack house, you know, I've heard it all. So it's not, it's really, when I asked myself, you just had all this spiritual goodness, this well-being, and you leave the monastery and you pick up, what were you thinking? It's part of what I suffer from, I think, um, is that um, I can change my experience of the world in the blink of an eye and almost forget that I can't use drugs like other people. Yeah, I mean, I didn't ask. I, I didn't really want to ask. Uh, I weren't asking um, why in a ignorant point. What yeah. it was from the point of saying that's your stock is at the highest. You've literally just come out. You, it, yeah, man. You know your 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 resilience is at the peak, and for for you to go out to that bit was it? It could be you know that complacency. It could be something in there that you know I've mastered it and and, mm. and done that. That that in itself was kind of a life changing experience. But you know, did you? from going into the criminality side of stuff. Mm. So you've got the spiritual and that and the, and the other side of it. Mm. When you was there any uh, uh, you know a situation when you're trying to score drugs or anything like that was you know where you realize oh shit I'm in a bit too deep here or like you got a situation when you're trying to buy that you think oh fuck I'm about to die. Yeah, I, I can remember one um one moment very vividly and I shared on it in a uh, mutual aid group actually just last week um when I first kind of got going with, with crack cocaine, you know, it was back when the, there actually were crack houses. These days, it's, it's entered the vernacular. And what people say when they, when they mean crack houses is actually just a place where there's unwell people using drugs. And, and, we, and we, we use it like, oh, it's a crack house down the road. But when I got started, there were actual yardy run um, crack houses in, in Ladywood and Hansworth and the Zells. And I was in one, I was, quite, you know, I only just got going with crack, really. And um, a guy who'd just got out of prison 
and didn't like the proprietor, let's say, of the uh, crack house, kicked the door off and he was an absolutely huge man. He had a machete. I was sat doing my thing with a glass table in front of me. He walked in the room and just landed down the machete on the glass table. It shattered everywhere. And then he, he grabbed someone from the room and just took them off. Big machete in his hand. And I can remember that 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 was a trauma, you know, I, and I think the, the trauma in it was not that something big and horrible just happened, just that I was in an environment where I couldn't process what had just happened with anyone else in the room because it wasn't the correct environment to say, my God, that was scary. I, you know, I feel really, really shaken up and unwell with what just happened because people were just there and they just got on with smoking their crack. And, and doing their gear so i i left there kind of learning something new like you're gonna have to deal with this shit on your own you've chosen this path who are you gonna cry to and 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 that was that was a, a kind of formative part of my journey in a way because this man was out to kill someone and i don't know if he i don't actually know if he did or not but um that was the uh that 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 was was scary man Really, really scary. Yeah. And then, um, kind of bringing it all together, really, in terms of like you, 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 you recently kind, uh, you, you go through your troubles, uh, you know, mm. and, you're, and you're very open about that. What's the value in, in sh- you know, there's some people who kind of, uh, there's some people who kind of have that secretive and have it kind of mm. keep it discreet. And you know what you said when you very early on when you were entering treatment. What, what's the true value for you and able to be so open in terms of like your own journey? Yeah, I think there's it's it's kind of twofold in a way, if not threefold, really. That it has um, a huge a huge emancipatory effect on me as a person, and actually the kind of research that I'm hoping to do if 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 I get the funding is around that and how disclosure. Um, done in with peer support in a managed way looking at the positives the cost benefit analysis of it can be right up there with among the most um, useful interventions that you could do with someone disclosing what's going on like coming out for for a gay person actually you know if you talk to gay people uh, about when they came out it has this launch pad effect of them coming into a new uh, part of their lives. And I think if you talk to, it's what step one's about in a lot of ways, isn't it? In the 12 steps, my name's Luke, I'm a drug addict. That has some power in it. And uh, it definitely did for me. And uh, I, I think that it's above the most useful things that you can do with some people. It's not right for everyone. Definitely not right for everyone. Some people will weigh up the cost benefit of it and and be like, no, you know, I'd, I'd rather not, and that's fine, but I do notice that people that are able to be out and proud about what's happened to them no longer live in secrecy, never, no longer live in the shadows, no longer feel like the wills of other people could just topple them at any time. They get some, some esteem. Um, and then there's the fact about making recovery visible in the community is is incredibly important to break stigma um to to kind of 
help people from suffering with self-stigma and shame and things like that to show that there are people in the community who are recovering and especially in a place like a university campus you know the effect that that can have oh my god there are people that used to use like me but but now uh, they've found a new way of life they're happy they're healthy they're better than well they're, they're having a great time of their education and their life so i don't you know i'm not i wouldn't say it's incumbent upon every addict to go out there and have a coming out um party or or some kind of you know launching it on the world but i hope to kind of prove with some research that it has really demonstrable uh, effects and can really really help people um and 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 just open up conversations where where there haven't been conversations before in diverse areas some parts of our society we've it's good you know within within um, certain kind of sectors some healthcare settings are getting a lot better. The criminal justice world's getting, you know, there's good people out there talking about recovery and, you know, um, harm reduction and, and, and all of that. But we need to just keep on with that project and opening up. I, especially with, if you, if you look at, you know, a lot, a lot of the cities, especially in the UK, becoming more diverse in their, in their, yeah. in the communities and they're having yeah. active uh, people within, within those uh, circles to kind of champion and having those conversations. Definitely. I mean, you've got it kind of double folded really in terms of like your support, your family support network, you know, especially yeah. like with Jess, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, she's obviously first and foremost, like your sister, but are also a, a massive advocate in trying to push forward the addiction, you know, the, the, the dr drug and alcohol agenda to try and uh, get that on there. Are you, how do you kind of, manage that relationship when you're trying to you know you've got your own kind of personal experience and having that obligation there's a family or first and foremost and it you still you you're still not rowing over christmas are you no <laughs> no there was a period you know and jess was was probably um of the most unforgiving people as part of the 12-step process i did the amends part of the process and Sometimes people will just say things like, oh, you know, it was in the past. As long as you're doing well now, just just keep on doing well. Whereas, you know, Jess, you know, Jess, and, and she didn't let, let me off the hook at all. She was like, <laughs> you made my life a misery. I couldn't sleep for however many years. And, or, you know, she didn't let me off the hook. And it took her a while. And that's because when you really do have a, a strong relationship with people and you love them and you're very close, um, you get affected by what they do and 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 it was you know I think of all the people it was very difficult for Jess to trust me again she'd done that many times it had been thrown back in her face she'd taken me into her home I you know stole stuff from the home or all sorts of things had gone on there but today you know she um, we're, we're close we're good friends again the, the damage will never be undone a lot of it um but we are we are very close. We don't row at Christmas. We've we've got we're very close to each other. We've got a very similar kind of interests and and she, but she wants me to stand on my own feet first and foremost. So she you know she she won't do if you expect that she would do kind of like favors for me um, professionally <laughs> or 
politically forget about it man i'm the last <laughs> person she's more likely to help you ricky <laughs> oh, she, hey look we did a podcast earlier on i only asked her once and she said yeah not a problem Rick. Not, you know and then yeah. you know she did she was chilling on her bed doing it did the podcast yeah. so, you know it was it was you know i've got a lot a lot of love and you know yeah. she's helped, helped me uh, quite a lot so so luke i'm, I'm gonna kind of bring it bring it all together so we you you know we know where you are now you're in you're doing this fantastic project um building upon the research and you know um get getting people involved and um so before i kind of how do people get involved in in, in this project at the moment how can they kind of reach out to you for support yeah so i mean we we are <clears throat> we're mainly for students at the university of birmingham so uh if if you are or if you know anyone um, who is in recovery or perhaps moving towards recovery or wants to be in recovery, family members, friends, friends of family, neighbours, um, then we are the better than well service. You can, you can find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is, is uh, btw underscore um, uob. Um, I can, do you, is it, where does it go out, Ricky? Is there, is there uh Yeah, so this, um, it goes out on kind of audio, Spotify, all the different platforms, but it, it, the biggest kind of interaction I have is it's still in the UK, but it's like USA, Canada, India, yeah. wherever, man. I've had people from Romania, I've had loads, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. weird, weird places, man. Cool. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the way to, we were also on the website on the University of Birmingham website, in terms of just getting involved, talk if you are at university, um, not even if you're in recovery, if you're interested in in kind of justice for people who've had addictions and you feel like they should be represented, then talk to your university administration, welfare team, even <clears throat> up to the vice chancellor's office about um, not only recovery, but, but harm reduction on your university campuses. Let's get the conversation going. Definitely. Luke, so this is the bandwagon. And what I do is I, um, I offer this kind of uh, chance for the guests to either jump on a bandwagon or jump off a bandwagon or just generally get anything off their chest. Is there anything that you'd like to share with us today? What I would like to say is that um, the harm reduction world and the recovery world can often seem like they are at odds with one another. There seems to be a kind of false, um, false dichotomy of a kind of war going on. Uh, I am an absolute believer that we need both. Uh, I know that you've, you you've have harm reduction listeners and recovery listeners, so it's reaching out an arm across that. I really hope that we can start to work together better. So I guess the bandwagon I would be jumping off would be recovery is the only answer, bandwagon. Can I just say, you're the first person in 40, 40 episodes to actually jump off a bandwagon. <laughs> it is, it is, that is brilliant. Go. I'm good at jumping off stuff, mate. <laughs> Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up this conversation when you're at the next stage of the, of the project and then uh, probably bring you in alongside with Ed, really, and, do, and, and we could do a Great. podcast together. So um, yeah. really appreciate it, man. Anything you need from me, of course, doors are always open. Uh, I just yeah, thank you for my education, man. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, man. Likewise. <laughs> you taught me a lot, man. Taught me a lot. 
at a time when I when uh, I really needed to learn it. You know, ah, it's good, man. It's good yeah, to man. see you. I'm so happy to see you, Luke. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. All the best, all the best mate. All the best. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.